Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. So we'd like to welcome you all to the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. We're very excited to have a uh, special guest and a longtime friend of mine, Jeff Bonnier, who is uh, in the studio with us today. And uh, Jeff, what's up, man? How you doing? What's going on, man? Look, I, I don't know how long you knew me, man, but Moghead, 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 Horde Head. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. If, it's you, the... if you if you was up up here, uh, you know, further further north, you'd know how to say it better, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been going for a while, so you know, you know, you forgot. Yeah, yeah. Well, my apologies. All right, so we'll we'll just stick with Jeff. Jeff, so. Jeff is always good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's been a minute, but um, yeah, man. I mean, you knew me when I had hair, so how about that? <laughs> 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 so we'll, we'll I, leave it there. I, I still got, I still got mine, but you know, people yeah, question yeah. me, and, and I, I have to pull it a couple of times to let them know. You know, there you go, there you go. You're probably hiding some gray, but that's another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so good to have you today, man. You know, it's um obviously it's it's been a minute. We've been trying to put this together for a while. You know, I know your schedule runs a little crazy, so thanks for um, you know, joining us and and getting getting on here. So Jeff, let's talk a little bit and, and kind of dive right in. Um, obviously, you've been in the real estate game for a long time. I think we initially go back to um, urban America, which was like the late 90s, early early 2000s. And uh, how was that for you? How, how did that relate to your, your experience and your development as a uh, player in this space? Well, well, you know, I actually came to urban America, you know, prior to that, I was at the uh, uh, up in Manhattan in Paramount Zone, working in Harlem, and and, uh, and if you recall, uh, federal initiative, private nonprofit that received an, uh, um, essentially the the reins to implement a two hundred and fifty million dollar community development initiative, and those two hundred and fifty million dollars between city, state, federal funds to help revitalize uh, Upper Manhattan. You know, through that process, and, and I came in there, you know, my undergrad was in uh, computer engineering technology, my master's in business management with a focus in human resources, right? Totally mm-hmm. different, but I was, you know, I had, you know, a, a big finance uh, background through those and math background through, the, through, through that educational experience. But what drove me to, to real estate was really uh, community development, being, you know, born and raised in the Bronx, I, you know, Wanted to make a difference, and then I learned about community development and specifically how real estate really drives the environments that you know the, the living conditions and the like, uh, the services that we receive and the like in low-income communities that that I was born and raised in. So 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 uh, you know great things got me to the Upper Manhattan Empowerment Zone, and really you know I was you know cut my teeth in real estate just by because I was a guy with the finance. You know, uh, degree and and uh, there was a guy by the name of Roy Swan, who is now uh, one of the senior guys at, at the Ford Foundation, and he has a, a great background. Um, he came from Solomon Brothers at the time and giving back, and you know he beat the hell out of me for over a year. It was the best beating that I ever got 
uh, <laughs> really, you know, whipping me into shape and trying to say, hey, figure it out. And I went out there, talked to the owners, you know, brokers, retailers and, you know, investors and became the real estate guy for the Upper Manhattan Empowerment Zone. Through that experience, I met uh, Richmond McCoy, who was uh, uh, one of the principals and, and headed up Urban America and read in the paper that, you know, they were closing on uh, a real estate equity fund focused on investing in low income communities. And I was like, wow, you know, this is this is what I want to do. He was an advisor for the Upper Manhattan Empowerment Zone and then said, hey, you know, can't continue that because I'm doing this. And it was a great time for me to move on because Debbie Wright, who's head of the Empowerment Zone, ran, uh, she went to uh, run a Carver Bank and, uh, you know, called up, said, hey, you know, uh, nonprofit guy trying to get into the private sector world, just give me $5,000 more mm-hmm. in, in salary because I know lunch is more expensive downtown. <laughs> so, true story. It, you know, and uh, that's how I, and I said, hey, you know, in a year, if things work out, you know, great, you know, pay me what I'm worth. If not, you know, let me go and thank you for the opportunity. And that's yeah. how I went into uh, urban America and and uh, and learned the business. You know, learned, I was, you know, given a great opportunity. I took advantage of it uh, to learn the business. Went in there with, uh, you know, and left as senior vice president and principal, you know, of a of a you know two billion dollar private equity fund at the end of the day. So um, yeah, um, it was a great experience. You know, it was, it was an opportunity for me to learn. I took advantage of it and, and just ran with it. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you bring up a point about those. Uh, Cheaper lunches. That's why last time we got together in Manhattan, you know, we went out to BBQ up uptown as opposed to downtown. So that's right. That's, that's right. Big that's difference. right. That's right. Washington Heights versus uh, 72nd Street. So it's yeah. all good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when, when you were with um, the Upper Manhattan dis- dep- Empowerment Zone, was that the time that Jim Simmons was still there or was that uh, before him. So, so Jim, when when I was, uh, we did cross paths, right? So Jim okay. was actually there, probably probably less than a year before I, I was I, I ended up leaving. So a lot of a lot of great people came out of of the Upper Manhattan Empowerment Zone. You know, Jim, one of them. Uh, you know, um, you know, just Hope Knight, for instance, is head of Empire State Development Corporation. You know, she came out of there. Of course, Roy Swan, as, as I mentioned, um, among among many others. It was a, a great platform for folks, frankly, to jump into other things. We, you know, we were, we, you know, Harlem. What was happening in Harlem was really the the tester for all inner city, you know, emerging market, you know, communities. So it was a huge testing ground for investors, you know, alike and retailers alike. So when we came out of there, you know, folks definitely uh, love to see that on the resume and attracted folks to to take our expertise and our knowledge and and the like and, and try to place that in, in other communities. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Harlem has really gone through a, a renaissance and Crazy. in a lot of ways. Yeah, we, we got to think that that's part of a byproduct of what, you know, the work that you guys did back at that period of time. Yeah, good, good, better, you know, good, better, uh, <laughs> bad. I don't know, indifferent. You know, it, it is. You know, it cuts both ways, right? Uh, yeah. You know, I say uh, there's a very thin line between economic development and gentrification, right? So, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's a, certainly a conversation for another day, but that's always the concern. You know, how do you balance that and kind of walk that fine line between the two? It's an ongoing challenge in every market around the country. So, yes, you know, what, what do you do? But anyway, that, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's very interesting. So you move from there and obviously uh, back in 09, I think you decided to go out there on your own and uh, open up Manye Capital and Mahe Capital, when we get it right. So what, what's that all about? You know, what are you guys doing now and uh, what's your expertise yeah, uh, as it sure. relates to to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so uh, it, it's going to be crazy about 15 years now. Um, and, and when I, you know, when I came out of urban America, you know, the, the sky was falling, right? It was an economic mm-hmm. downturn during that time. A lot of people were, were pivoting and, um, you know, we were in the process of trying to raise a third fund at the time for, for New Jersey. And that wasn't uh, necessarily, you know, gaining a, a lot of steam. When, when I jumped out, I had this idea that I was going to raise equity and really focus on Hispanic markets, which I thought was underserved and it's still are today. You know, with a focused effort, you know, intentional effort of speaking to that to that population. Right. Um, when I came out, you know, uh, having all these meetings and and and, and such related to that and trying to find a partner, folks are calling me up about my expertise in federal new market tax credits. When I was at when I was at Urban America, I, I led their efforts in, in that uh, secondary business um, that we were doing on the fee side, the market tax credits. And, and we were a community development entity, uh, which means basically you have the ability to apply for, for these credits and act as a middleman essentially for the federal government to monetize these tax credits and put them out. So you have to be awarded to be able to do so. At the time when I left, we went four out of five rounds of allocation, about about $200 million worth or so, and uh, and top 10 percentile in the country. And it was, uh, I was in the in the industry since the very beginning. So I was an expert uh, in, in the field. And then very rare thing is that I was an equity guy, real estate, commercial real estate guy. So I was a numbers guy beyond understanding the, the programmatic aspects of it and the like. So uh, everybody was calling me up about that. And I was like, okay, pivot, right? You know, this, 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 I, there's something here, which is I do all these other things. If you want to call me up about new markets, that's great. But then it will allow me to get opportunities in other, you know, placing other forms of capital, structuring deals, even trying to be a, an equity investor, right? Even seeing how I could play in, in you know, in, in that space at, at, on the on the ownership side. So so that's what happened. You know, I, I went in and here I am 15 years later and, and we're pretty well known in the country, not even New York, right? In the country as a, a real estate capital advisor, you know, firm, um, but with this niche expertise in new market tax credits, and the ability to structure it with just about anything that you're capable of structuring it with. So, um, and, and done some amazing projects uh, nationwide. Yeah, yeah, very good point. So let, let's talk a little bit about tax credits because uh, it's an area that a lot of people are not that familiar with. And, you know, there, there's obviously a variety. So let me ask you, first of all, what are the different types of tax credits related to real estate? You don't have to name all of them, but then we can do a little bit of a dive into the main ones, you know, like the new market, the the Litech, the historic, et cetera. 
you know, what, what are really the, the tax credits that are out there? And then, like I said, we could take a little bit of a deeper dive in each one. Yeah. So, so, you know, the, the, the main ones per se, low-income housing tax credits, right, related to affordable housing projects, obviously new market tax credits, which is really driven to uh, uh, more so to anything that's not 100% residential. So if you have 20% or more of your gross revenue coming from non-residential uh, activities, you know, new market tax credits is a is an option. Uh, historic tax credits, which you could you could use, you know, coupled with both programs. There are there are uh, copycat uh, in, in a good sense, copycat programs, both on the historic tax credit side and the new market tax credit side that have popped up. And then there are various state credit uh, programs. Like uh, you know, I'm in uh, New Jersey, and um, New Jersey Economic Development Authority <clears throat> had, over the years have had different types of state credits that they offer. Offer right, so states offer uh, you know, and then there's solar credits that 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 that's out there as well, among others. Um, but but yeah, but that's those are the those are the main ones that that uh, I, I've uh, I've used and I've I've been part of. Gotcha, gotcha. So one thing that a lot of people aren't aware as it relates to tax credits is that they're often stackable as well. Have you uh, been able to implement a lot of deals where where you're using that stackable structure on these different tax credits? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we we've done we've done a state and federal credits both on the new uh, on the new market tax credit, state and federal, coupled with historic tax credits. You know, we've done deals where you can't stack light tech and new markets together. Yeah. You can do it side by side. So we've done that as well. You know, so we've done where you'll have residential upstairs, commercial community facility downstairs. So you know, you're getting financing construction financing, bridge financing for the whole project as a foreign shell. And then you bifurcate the two, you know, one into one program, the other one into the other program. So, you know, ultimately when there's a will, there's a way to be able to do these things, uh, which is a lot of fun. That's, 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 that's what I, you know, it's like a chess game and, you know, yeah. thinking about your moves um, before you you make them and, and 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 math everything you know math, math is is uh, gets you you can't cheat math right the numbers are the numbers right so to be able to get there and and find you know find a gap and filling out filling those gaps through different sources of capital it's a lot of fun and and there's not a lot of people that are able to do that um the way that we're able to do it so so that's why 15 years later you know here we are and, and growing yeah, still standing. <clears throat> so, so let me ask this. Um, you know, for the sake of our audience, some of these things obviously I know the answer to, but I, I want you to elaborate. New market tax credits. Uh, why do you often see those in, or why are those generally a good application for urban markets? Just from a new market tax credit side of things, it, it really is a replacement for equity, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you know. So if you have a gap on the private side, because this, you know, both nonprofits and for profits could take advantage of it, right? So but if you're on the private side, if you have a gap, you know, you have to come up with equity, right? You, 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 you get as much debt as you possibly can. And then you're talking about equity or, or mess debt, which is going to be a higher cost of mm-hmm. course of uh, debt. And if you don't have, you know, you know, and it should be a lower cost of equity, but not always the, the case, uh, depending on how deep your pockets are. So, so uh, you know, you're talking about a, a subsidy that, that, you know, costs you zero, 
structurally uh, at the end of a comp- you know seven-year compliance period for new markets versus a return that's looking for 18% or whatever, 15 to 18%, 20% for equity, right? So so that's the, the you know, that's the obvious, right? And, and uh, when, when the markets were hot, when you had real cheap, cheap capital out there that was high, you know, highly leveraged leverageable, then uh, people don't look for the complexities, right? They say, hey, you know what, I got the numbers work, you know, forget about the complexities yeah. of any program. But now, you know, capital markets, you know, are, 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 are drying up, right? Yeah. Interest rates are up, leverage, leverage is down, and now mm-hmm. everybody's, you know, freaking out, trying to find subsidy and all of, you know, cap C, uh, you know, now, you know, uh, pace, pace financing is now a thing when no one was caring about it because of the cost. And, you know, so now all of a sudden people are coming out of the woodworks that mm-hmm. the, the nonprofits, you know, the same, you know, those, those are the deals that uh, people are focusing on more. So in the new market task order world today, because the capital markets are, are, are real tough now and, and nonprofits have a, a greater ability to raise capital, you know, some many, many nonprofits, so some nonprofits, uh, more so than yeah. the private guys that need to come up with money, right? Um, you know, and mm-hmm. be able to fill those gaps, you know. Right, right. So if, if I'm looking at a deal, what would be the the complexity of that deal for me to say that this is a new market opportunity? You <laughs> know, so 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 look, this this is the this is the one on one I always say to people, right? Yeah. That you know, underwrite the deal. Right. You know, so, you know, market rents are market rents. Right. Car costs and, you know, soft costs. You know, it is what it is. Right. So your cost is going to be what your cost is going to be. Right. Your, your, your rents are, are driven on market. Those are going to be what they're going to be. And I'm talking about commercial real estate here. Right. So you're going to get to an NOI. Right. And, and now now you build your capital stack. How are you going to fund this budget? So go into the market. Rates are what, it, what rates are. Leverage is going to be what leverage is going to be. So are you talking about, you know, 60%, you know, leverage, or are you talking about 75% leverage based on where the market is? Are you talking about 4% or 8% interest rate, right? So whatever the, the real market numbers are going to be, and then you're going to have your uh, your gap, right? And and if you have to fill your gap with equity, right, if you got the money, right, mm-hmm. yep. your equity in there, what's your return, right? That, you know, it's math. And if the if the returns aren't there, right, then you you, you know this it, it's not a deal for you, and you need subsidy, right? And now if we're talking about low income communities. The capital markets are a little bit tougher. The the costs are the same, but the rents may not be the same, right? Main Street may be charging you know a, a little bit, getting a little higher on the rents than the, the low income uh, you know you know communities, and that's why there's there's subsidies out there to be able to right the ship. And to be able to make it make it underwrite, and, and in most cases, especially today, you you can't do a market capitalization for an urban or you know low income community transaction. It's just you know the numbers just don't work out. So you are going to need a subsidy, and then it ends up being what's the subsidies that are out there and available, which can you match up and to be able to fill fill those gaps. But you start with trying to figure out what your gap is, and then you go out there and see what kind of products are out there in your particular market. Yeah, and that was kind of the, the point I was driving that because you you wouldn't necessarily look to use a new market tax credit if I'm developing at you know 57th and Sixth Avenue in Manhattan, 
No. Right. So you have to you have to qualify. You have to be in a in a qualified census track, right? So that's the that's the point I'm driving at, right? Have, so well, to, go ahead, elaborate on that, to, please. Yeah, yeah, you have to be in a qualified census track, which is you know people call it different things, but it's low moderate income right. communities, and and there's a, a couple of of sources that are out there. Uh, to be able to do the mapping, but but the same mapping that you would do for light tech, you know, same community opportunity zone opportunity. These are all overlapping programs, census track wise. But but you have to be in a a, a low a low income uh, census track, and many people will be surprised which which census tracks actually qualify for low income. But the other thing, which I'm going to be I'm going to be straight up with this, is that you, you can't get something without giving something. And that's where a lot of private, you know, folks mess up, right? Because they want to try to figure out how to get the free money and that understanding that there's free money and, and subsidy is supposed to be for a reason. Right? Yeah. It's supposed yeah. to be for uplifting our communities. What folks uh, do, uh, you know, they, they come out and they try to, you know, trick, trick, you know, trick the industry, right? You know, it, 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 false promises and the like, but, it, but it's, it's it, you know, literally it's dumb. Right. Just do, do the math. Right. If you're going to somebody's going to give you something, it's not that hard to give people in the community an opportunity to be employed. It's not that hard to, to be focused on, on providing services to the community. It's easier to not try to do it and, and try to you know fake the funk. But it totally goes against the programs that are out there. And, 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 uh, and unfortunately, on both sides, right, there are developers that are trying to get something for nothing. And then sometimes there are people in, in the capacity that are supposed to be the gatekeepers that don't do a good enough job in making sure that that the projects that they're funding are really uh, truly meeting the mission of the programs. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the key, you know, the mission of the program and making sure that you fit into that. So with, with that in mind, um, what exactly is LIHTC? You know, what do those initials stand for? And uh, what is the normal application of a LIHTC situation? Uh, they certainly overlap, but let me have you elaborate on that if you don't mind. Yeah, so so uh, it's a low-income housing tax credit is the program, and you know a fed, federal federal-driven program. And I and I'll confess, I am not a LIHTC guy. Don't want to be a LIHTC guy. Okay. I, I, I know enough to to make me dangerous, but but know enough to be able to couple. The commercial community facility mixed use projects that I do and operating business projects that I do to 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 make it work, but but there are there are uh, a lot of you know restrictions as it pertains to the the light tech program and if you you know not to jump too deep into it, but you know when folks talk about being developers in in, in the light tech world, you know you're basically you know, restricting the use of those spaces uh, of those apartments, obviously to to income restriction on 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 tenancy and, and the like, and how how they're set up, uh, frankly, is that you know the way to 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 quote unquote make a living or make make money as a developer on the light tech side is is really developer fees. You know, if if you really you know, and I took a took some time over uh, a number of years uh, to. To try to figure out what drives the 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 the, the light tech model and how could I match it the best way possible with new markets in, in particular, and in underwriting those deals that we were working on, 
you have a big developer fee, which is uh, more sizable than your a commercial deal that you know you normally you know pencil in like a four percent, you know, kind of the back of the napkin. Uh, you know, I've seen our fees, uh, you know, north of of ten percent on the developer fee. When you know, so it, how those deals are, are underwritten for a lot of developers is really about a developer fee versus cash flow and. You know, you're going to sell, uh, you know, year 10 and stuff like that. It's, it's not really driven that way. So so it, it is it is pretty interesting. The, the one thing that I will say also about LiTech and a lot of these programs, unfortunately, and the people that chase these these programs is that, you know, developers underwrite deals based on the the financing. Right. And I'm going I'm to uh, expand on that. So a, a, a LiTech deal, for instance, you could only get a tax credit on the residential aspects of, of, of the project. So if you did a, a 40,000, you had the ability to build 40,000 square feet of commercial space the, and you needed tenant improvements, right? You know, because you're in a low income community, the, you know, the, the community uh, businesses there are a food desert. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're not going in and say, Hey, I want to rent space. And I have, I'm gonna I'm gonna put in a million dollars of of work into the deal. You know they want people to build out the space for them, give them you know give them some tenant improvement dollars. But you can't get credit against the light tech for those tenant improvement dollars, which is you know which does it. So think about underwriting, right? Yeah. So why are you gonna underwrite tenant improvement dollars if you can't get a credit for it and you're gonna be upside down? So what people end up doing is that they start underwriting smaller spaces, right, to be able to match up to underwriting, uh, you know, having a deal that underwrites, right? Get a, right. You get the subsidy, you're going to build out space that you can get a subsidy on, don't build out space that you're not getting a subsidy on because then you're upside down. Right. right. So, but let's think about, you know, how upside down that is, right? You're talking about a community of need. So you have a big space, but you have, and, and so you're downsizing it. So that's less retail space, so less services, less jobs, less community healthcare space, which is chicken crazy. wings and hair salon, right? Right, right. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying. Or, or fried chicken, right? Well, well, Joe, how many times have you gone and saw a light tech deal in in, in in the city, and you see the space vacant on yeah. the first floor? Why? Because they built a court. Well, they built a corn shell. Yeah. Right. And then and they're renting it, trying to look for a tenant that's mm-hmm. going to, you know, finance their fit out because the owner doesn't want to finance the fit out. Yeah. So it's, it's it sits there, sits there vacant. And and you know, and, and they and most of the time when they underwrite that community or commercial space, they're not they're 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 underwriting a donut, right? The investors are underwriting a donut for it. Um, anyway, you know, because yeah. you know, it's corn shell. So very upside down, uh, very, very upside down. Some of these, you know, some of these programs versus what, you know, what's happening in the market and, and, and sometimes even the mission. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> good point to to keep in mind, you know, LiTech certainly is an application for urban core development, but like with everything else, it has to be structured right. And uh, most people aren't aware of the whole period you know, that that's associated with that. And that definitely you. plays into the exit. Yeah. On a situation yeah. like that. So um, very powerful point. And then the other ones that we run across uh, oftentimes is is historic. Correct me if I'm wrong. Generally in historic tax credits, uh, the facade needs to remain the same 
but you can do interior improvements sometime build on uh, well, to the facility. Well, well uh, you, yeah. yeah, so so you can get so so you can get a credit, you know, tax credit on the facade or or the facade and the interior. Mm-hmm. Right. And we we did a real matter of fact, right down the block from my office, we did uh the, the headquarters for Audible. Um so Audible.com, it's an Amazon company. They had their headquarters here in downtown Newark. Um we we, we, we did new market tax credits. It was a state program, and we were gonna do historics on it, right? And it's a it was an old church, old mm-hmm. church directory, and it sat vacant. For you know, probably a couple of decades, because you know the co- think about the cost of renovating or repurposing a church, right? Yeah. So, so that was very you know very cost uh, prohibitive. You know, with the combinations of all the all these subsidies, we were able to put together a deal where uh, I, th- I think they probably brought about four hundred jobs to uh, to here in this Newark area, and they're doing a lot of great things with with small businesses. And, and students over here in downtown downtown Newark. But when we started underwriting the cost of, or the benefit of the historic tax credits, uh, which is about 20% on eligible uh, eligible cost, against the, the cost of rehabbing mm-hmm. the space, we actually were almost upside down. And then when an architect said, hey, you could have a, a mezzanine in, in this old side the church space, yeah in a mezzanine space in, in there and and get I don't know I forget how 20,000 square feet more of space or whatever it was and then obviously the economics related to that but you couldn't do it without damaging the historical you know si- you know uh significance or maintaining the historical significance of the space related to the historical tax credit requirements mm-hmm. uh, it didn't make any sense. Yeah. Right. So so we actually gave up the historic tax credits in the underwriting and, and the opportunity there. And we traded off, you know, getting more rentable square footage. Right. So but historics is, is is great if you understand it and if you understand how to underwrite mm-hmm. uh, on, on a different side. I've, I've actually been brought into a deal deals, not even just one, but m- multiple deals where people took on the historic tax credit application put it on the registry, went through the whole thing, and then didn't understand the numbers. Mm. And they were really, they were stuck that they had to keep this historical aspects of the building and the costs were were uh, exceeded the benefit. Yeah. So they were upside down. So it's very important to, to understand how to underwrite these deals and 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 the responsibilities that that come along with it. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Talk to me also about opportunity zones. Those have become very, very popular, I don't know, four years ago or so. And, um, you know, it kind of tailed off in top popularity as of late. But um, there's still a lot of opportunity out there and there's still money out there looking for for deals. So uh, what could you tell us about opportunity zones and uh, why people should consider, consider investing in them? Well, you know, I have uh, I have an opportunity zone fund and, and uh, you know, we're we have a, a matter of fact across the street from where I'm at, uh, renovating. You know, actually finished up a commercial uh, building and, and lot that we did with with Opportunity Zone and the Opportunity Zone structure. You know, the Opportunity Zone program when it came out, you know, I'm, I'm too old to get in trouble anymore. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I, I was I was on a lot of panels, and and then 
in the beginning, then I, then I stopped getting invited uh, to panels, and 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 probably I'll tell you why is that um, you know I I was saying because uh, the, the, it's a sister program as you know the the, the requirements essentially to the new market tax credit. So there's a, you know, so when it came out, I was very familiar with with the with how they were positioning the program and and, and the requirements and all like because of new markets and it was a natural thing for me to start going into and becoming an expert. And if you remember when everybody said, oh, we're raising, you know, $100 million opportunities over fund, everybody had a fund. And, yeah. and, and I'm sitting there saying that nobody got no funds, right? <laughs> yeah, but a couple of people that, 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 that obviously, were, you know, were able to do some funds, but a lot of it was a lot of smoke and mirrors, right? And it came out as this trickle down, you know, economic development initiative, right? People thought that, you know, you could bring people in that, you know, of mean, wealthy folks to invest and into low-income communities and they will do the right thing and do deals that are going to create economic, you know, impact to low-income communities. But there were no requirements for them to do so, right? So there was no, you know, unlike the new market tax credits, you have to, you know, create jobs and all this stuff and that's what what you're judged by. On the on the opportunity zone side, there was no requirements other than investing in those census tracts. Yeah. Um, so so I think that was an epic failure in how that that program was designed. But but on the investor side, you know, if you're going to invest in low income communities, that's what you do, right? And now you have some capital gains. Why not? Right. It's just yeah. a, it's just another way of getting away from paying capital gains, right? Because the program, the home run of the program is that the money that you invested anything above that, that, you know, in capital gains wise, you're able to, you know, have no capital gains exposure after a 10 year period. Mm-hmm. So, so it's great for investors. It wasn't that great for the community. And, and, and the thought process was that you were going to have a lot more, a, a lot uh, new investors coming in but some of those folks that I did run into, because I've, I've met a lot over the last few years, is that they didn't understand the, you know, the, the complexities of investing in low-income communities, right? It's still, you know, what I said, cost to here, if you're just doing it with capital, a regular market capital, which, you know, value ends up being here, and you need subsidies to make it right. So those folks had the tax credit, equity, you know, the capital gains you know, money coming in sure. to be able to, you know, get some benefit from it. But in order to make deals work, they still need to understand community development finance and be able to layer in those other those mm-hmm. other dollars. They, those folks didn't know about that. They didn't, you know, you didn't have, and they and, mm-hmm. and they ran away, you know. Like, and some didn't care. Some, some did oh, uh, we saw, you know, we have that out here in Newark. And Newark is a lot of deals that there's no way in hell that they are on the rights. But, you know, <laughs> But different money, right? When you have big money chasing stuff, and you're willing to hold it for you know 20 years, and, mm-hmm. and you don't you're, you're waiting for appreciation, then you know you know not many people could do that except right. for people who really uh, deep, deep deep pockets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So a lot of good <clears throat> information related to that, and and you know opportunity zones are still you know great situations. But again, to your point. People need to play into what is the the purpose behind it. You know, there there is a benevolent purpose behind it, but oftentimes not realized, and and that's where things go sideways. So, you know, very good point from that standpoint. 
there were two other things that I, I wanted to, to pivot and focus in on, unless there was something else you wanted to add to the conversation about tax credits. Anything else related to that or any other types of credit that you think people need to be considering well, looking at? Well, one thing to, you know, on the new market tax credit side, and, you know, to talk about one of our partners, Lendistry. So Lending Chemistry. So we, we are able to partner up with Lendistry, which uh, a, a black, black-owned black fintech company that's also a CDFI uh, lender, a community development finance institution lender. And um, uh, they're doing amazing things. Um, and, and the partners there, uh, Everett Sands runs runs Lender Street, and uh, the chair is David Bramble, who we both know, doing amazing things out in Baltimore and, and beyond. And, and we partnered up with them to, to build their new market tax credit platform and won $35 million of allocation a couple of rounds ago, and we're back um, trying to help them invest, invest uh, uh, I mean, apply for more. What, what, what you're able to do in new market tax credits as well is a small business loan fund, right? And so we actually uh, closed a, a little over $23 million in a small business loan fund uh, focused on minority business enterprises with, with U.S. Bank, you know, through the lender street allocation and and uh, and now looking to, to place that. So it's up to $4 million. So you go a little bit $50 million up to $4 million. And what's happening, what they're doing is that they're taking market money, call it about 70% of, 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 of the dollar, right? Um, mm-hmm. the market money and blending it with 30, 30% subsidy being coming from the tax credit. So the idea is that you're able to provide below market flexible rates up to five-year terms, uh, no prepayment penalties uh, and other flexible uh, opportunities for operating businesses, both nonprofit and for-profit. So this is really balance sheet lending, working capital, which is very unique, and, and not you know you're not going to see that out in the market. That is something else that you could do with the tax credits. That's a little bit outside the box. Another thing that we're doing is for sale housing. We, we our, our client, um, the Urban League of Essex County. We're actually, uh, you know, doing a, a for sale housing product where they're uh, receiving this new market tax credit benefit. They're building uh, two family homes that they're selling, and then they're keeping the note, right? So that so they're building them, selling them, keeping the notes, which is an eligible new market tax credit activity. And at the end of seven years, the idea is to you know sell those notes to a bank, and and one of the banks that, that we're working with there is uh, is Industrial Bank, and that's uh, also with uh, a, a nonprofit called NCIF, and then Wells Fargo as a tax credit investor. So I just wanted to mention those two unique ways that you could use new markets as well. Yeah, no, that's that's very interesting. Um, you know, when you talk about businesses, is there any? Types of businesses specifically, or and it you just know, range from restaurants to shoe repair shops. I mean, just any. You know, any- we, you know, just uh, so we had uh, a paper company, a black woman-led uh, paper company out of Jersey. That's one was one of the first recipients. Uh, so they do, you know, cards or anything that's paper product. You know, from that to we actually have a distillery that received uh, an investment. You do have some operating uh, real estate developers that are out there, restaurateurs. We have uh, 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 one applicant that's that's in that that has a, a chain of, of, of restaurants. So it can really run the run the gambit. So you know all you have, but you do have to be in a low income community, and, and obviously you know our, we're targeting 
underserved, you know, MBE uh, businesses is 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 the goal. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> That's interesting. <clears throat> How long do those um businesses need to be around? How long in business? You, you are underwrite. You you are doing a balance sheet underwriting, right? So you got to have a balance sheet. So yeah. you know, so, <laughs> you know that that kind of speaks for it for itself. Yeah. There's yeah. no there's no particular. You know, you have to be ten years in 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 business, but but it is uh, for for uh, you know existing operating businesses uh, and, yeah. and size really. You know, I think it's the argument of you know the size really doesn't matter. It really depends on what your 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 application and what your needs are and, and what the the future holds. Um, because that, the other thing is that I'll say is that they also are looking at projections, right? A lot of times, you know, it's kind of like, well, what do you what, what you know, what do you got now? But it's 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 uh, so I should say it's beyond balance sheets. It's also looking at projections where a lot of folks don't even look at the projections, right? They don't they give you zero credit for that. But but industry is looking at looking at that growth capital opportunity for, for, for businesses. All right. Well, good point. Good point to keep in mind. We actually get a, you know, I wouldn't say an enormous amount of, of calls, but we, we get a good bit of interest in individuals that are, you know, doing non-real estate stuff, you know, and they need financing, whether it be actually, believe it or not, we got a, a bunch of restaurant offerings that came in just recently so uh something we could talk about offline but yeah yeah um, and, and, I, and, and you know let, let, let me say this i was out in the market i could unfortunately if i could have benefited because that conflict of interest I, I i can't but 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 boy this is a product right because a lot of the products that people were putting out there for for minority developers and the like it was all light tech driven right because light tech is very easy well easier to underwrite and, and to manage the risk, because like I guess, like I was saying before, all the all the money comes in really at closing. But for everybody else, you know, we 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 didn't have a source of capital, and even yours truly, I was out there trying to find money for my particular, ever ever you know, freakonomics type of a business. But I was able to uh, have uh, New Jersey Community Capital listen to me, and they're a CDFI lender, obviously out here in New Jersey. And and they were able to listen to my needs, understand my business, and I'm actually in the process of closing some financing with them as we speak. So you know, uh, kudos to to them, and 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 uh, you know, one of the the few folks that are really trying to target you know businesses that are not you know project specific development deals. You know, so yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a good point, Jeff, because I know a lot of times, especially when. All these incentives came out to help minority developers. It was like, well, we'll give you lie tech deals in order to do in your own community and everything else. And it's like, well, you know, now you're pigeonholing me, right? Yeah, All the areas right. that you used to rent line, you're saying, well, we're only going to let you develop there. And, uh, you know, it becomes another form of discrimination, if you will, you know, because right. it's locking you in only developing in certain areas. You know, you, you think about a lot of this money that came out and, uh, you know, people, the, 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 what we need is working capital, right? What we need is equity, right? Yeah. But a lot of folks that are out here that are doing this work, they're lenders. They, they don't, they, they're not equity investors, right? Right, so, right? so there's a mismatch, I think, on what the need is to really build wealth and, and what the products that are out there, the people that are trying to implement the products. And I hear that across the table. I, I talk to a lot of folks just like you. And you know, you and I have our own, you know, needs as 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 business folks, right? So, and I'm I'm hoping that 
that people have greater flexibility, um, especially all this ESG money that's supposed to be out there, but it's, it's getting funneled through the same. Same gatekeepers. Yep. And, and, and it's coming out the same type of product. So uh, that, that, that needs to change if we really want to create some, you know, some change here. And yeah. build some wealth with folks that want to do good and, and do well. Yeah, you have a very good point. I do want to kind of build on that in, in two specific areas real quick that I that you brought up earlier that I, I think really need to be highlighted. You know, I know you're very active in uh, one of the Latin chambers of commerce uh, related to commercial real estate. I guess I would ask, why, why do you think it is we don't see more Latins in Real estate, commercial real estate. I mean, there's, you know, you know just very few, uh, like, there's no all path. There's no path. There's no path. And, you know, and, and what's interesting is, is that there are some organizations that are out there that are doing tremendous work, especially working with, with the Latino community. A lot of those, but, but it's really, you know, pushing towards Wall Street, pushing towards equity and, and, and even operating business. But commercial real estate you don't really have that. That is an issue. And it's something that I, you know, I, I've been trying to work with as much as possible, you know, making myself more visible, you know, talking about the issues, uh, you know, expressing the opportunities in, in, in commercial real estate. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big supporter of Project REIT and, and have been a, a, a speaker and, and um, a lecturer for several years. Uh, going way back when Michael Bush uh, really launched uh, Project REIT. I'm part of the Hispanic uh, Scholarship Fund Advisory Committee for New York. So when I get out there, I try to make make a difference. I, I uh, obviously part of the Real Estate Executive Council and try to be as, as active as possible, right? Because, you know, folks will say, oh, man, there's no... There's not a lot of Latinos in, in, in REIT, right? It, it, you know, it's a Black organization. It's not a a Latino organization as well, but that's not that's not what it is. Nor should it be allowed, right? You know, yeah. you have to you got to be in it to win it, and then you have to be able to make change by by letting people see you, right? And and and, and being out there, being accessible. And then uh, and then I recently joined an organization called Real R E A L, like uh, Real in English. So it's really the first that I know, and I've been doing this for a long time, and I've been part of ICSC, Hispanic Markets uh, Initiative, and, and, and other initiatives, but it's the first commercial real estate focus association that's being, um, you know, the groundwork is already there, and we're building the foundation for national exposure, and I was recently um, added to the board of Real, so you're going to see a lot of good things coming out of, of that group, and then, and then lastly, with, with a with a friend and, and partner in crime here, or a partner in good, Gina Nesbitt, who's uh you know used to be a Citibank and now running her her own uh, consulting firm. We started a group called uh, uh, a nonprofit called Open Access, and, and the idea is really to bring more Black and Brown professionals into community development finance, right? And there's obviously intertwined between commercial real estate and community development finance. Commercial real estate is much harder to get into if, if, you know, and, and build, build your career in, in my sure. opinion. Commercial, uh, community development finance, <clears throat> like it was for me, was is a great, 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 great way to get into commercial real estate, 
while still being able to do some good, right? That's what we, at the Upper Manhattan Paramount, Empowerment Zone, I did a number of commercial real estate deals, right? So, and I, and I was probably working at a higher level than I would have if, if I was coming out, you know, green as I was trying to do it in, in the private sector. So, yeah. so, so what we're doing is we're, we put together this very unique fellowship. So it's a working fellowship. So, so you could have a job, you could be a, a you know, a, a grad student or even, you know, in between job, whatever the case may be. But the idea is to, to be able to get 160 hours of, of work experience. So you would be working like, for instance, Monge Capital over a three month period. I get you 160 hours of, 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 of work hours, whether it's before work, after work, during work, you know, we could figure that out if selected. You paid, right? You know, so I'm not getting slave labor. You know, yeah. I'll actually pay you. And then training. So there's training uh, provided by Novogratic which, you know, on the, on the tax credit programs, but also this year, which is great, we actually have um, underwriting training. Everybody mm-hmm. talks about underwriting. Everybody wants to do everything and not know the numbers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So an opportunity to learn the numbers. And then, then another big thing is networking. So we're getting, you know, some one-on-one, some panel discussions and, and opening up our Rolodex, our, our contacts to these fellows. So we just, so we're in our third year, we we got our 501c3 just recently, so we're official now. We were uh, we had a fiscal sponsor and project REIT uh, the first two years, but now we're off on our own, and we raised you know raised capital from from folks like U.S. Bank, M&T, PNC, Chase, um, among others that have been uh, very uh, supportive of the of the idea, and we're placing people into the industry, which is amazing. You know, just recently, a couple of days ago. We have uh, one one gentleman that was uh, was just hired by L and M, which is a you know big, big yeah. developer. Over here. Yeah. yeah, and uh, as as a counsel for L and M, you know, which is which is awesome. Yeah, we have so we have people that are doing different things that you know in coming into the industry with the intentionality of trying to do good and do well, right? And that's what that's what we need. And uh, and then through that process, obviously. We're trying to make sure that we have the, the you know some focus that we could have some diversity that we can get those Latinos in. And, and we're making people responsible. Like you have a responsibility, I have a responsibility to reach back, right? We're all in the reach back program. And, and if and if and if you're not, then you're doing a disservice to the people that you represent. And I'm saying that straight up, right? You mm-hmm. know, because you know, and, and and dudes like me, right? I'm, I'm a light, you know, light, right? I can go, you know, <laughs> I, I could probably, you know, change my Bronx accent and 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 get away with it and and, and forget, right? Um, but it's not right. That's not, you know, I, you know, I, I can't leave, you know, my background, my cultural background, and my 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 people, my family, my friends behind. I have to do my my part to be able to get other people that want to do good and do well. To be able to, you know, uh, have a representation of an industry, right, that mm-hmm. serves Black and Brown folks in low-income communities. How, how do you have that? Where you have the, the the people that serve good people. A lot, you know. I, I'm not saying people are bad, right? Yeah. But but if you don't have the lenses of the people that you're servicing, then how how are you maximizing that, right? So. Mm-hmm. Doctors come in and they want, you know, they go to a plumbing convention, you know, they may do some plumbing at home, but uh, do they see the lenses of what the plumbers, you know, 
needs and wants are? Uh, and the answer is no, right? So, and you can't put down on your resume most of the time that, hey, you know, what are your skills? My skills is I know my neighborhood. You want to invest in the Bronx? I got that, right? Yeah, yeah. You're not, you know, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, but that should be a chip on your shoulder. People should see that as an advantage, mm-hmm. right? That you understand your client base, right? Yeah. Then everything else, obviously, you have to be able to carry the weight of those skills. But that is something that we should be able to leverage in this industry and have the representation because it is a plus. Yeah, yeah. No, valid point, man. Valid, valid point. So let me let me conclude on this point. You mentioned earlier about um, how you started off your career. Obviously, it's been a long road. You know, I've, I've seen you grow and obviously you, you've seen me over the years. But um, you mentioned early on about uh, your first opportunity. You were you were beat to death, but it made you cut your teeth. You know, what, what would you say about the value of being beat to death and not being afraid of actually going out there and having to figure it out? As long as you have the support, we're not saying go out there on your own, but is there some value to that, in your opinion, of uh, having somebody say, you know what, you figure it out and, and help guide you along the way? My kids know. They, they always go, oh, you know, I know, I know, figure it out, right? Yep. And, and you have to, right? When you start looking back, I was uh, crazy. I was having this conversation yesterday, right? I grew up, and I was saying the story about how my father, you know, this is back in the days, right? My father actually had a sheepskin, right? My, you know, my biological father, he had sheepskin. And I said, you know, and and he's like, oh, go ahead, wear it, right? So I, I, so I walked home. <laughs> I walked home and and I was walking as hard as possible, boy. You, you would think that I had machine guns underneath my jacket, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, in a community, you raise, you know, you're raised tough, mm-hmm. right? That, Somebody may stick you up for your coat. You know? Yeah, yeah, I know. You, got, you, got, you, you understand, right? So yeah, you, I had a few sheepskins. I get it. You know, right? <laughs> and you think about the, and it's not necessarily, it's about the challenge, mm-hmm. right? It's about the fear factor. It's about only the strong survive, right? And that's what happens in our communities, right? Yeah. Only the strong survive. Where in other communities, the strong survive, not so strong, sometimes the weak survive because of the resources that they have. Sure. So, so, so I say that to say that, you know, if you can figure that out, everything else is really a thing about uh, self-consciousness. Mm-hmm. Biggest thing that I needed to get over was, can I do that? I can do all this stuff, but can I do that? Feeling inferior. When, mm-hmm. when I my first year in college, I was, you know, in classes, I was, you know, everybody, you know, was white. There was no blacks and Latinos in many classes. And I and and, and I knew that I came out, I went to D Clan High School, which you know, you know, you know, D Up in the Bronx, yep. Yeah, up in the Bronx. And I came out and I said, man, I had an inferior education. And I was I, I me, I got mad. Yeah. Right. And you know, and and and, and some other folks could feel inferior and I felt some of that, but I was more angry. I got more aggressive and I said, you know what? I'm gonna show them and you know and I'm gonna figure it out. Right. This I'm I am going to figure it out. And that is, you know, that is something that people have to understand. Don't get angry, right? Get even, right? Yeah, yeah. And you get even not by, you know, going to your nine to five. It's like for me, I was studying I learned Argus on my own. You know, you know, if I had questions, I asked people. I mm-hmm. went to, you know, networking events. I figured it out. And people have to have 
that chip on their shoulder and understand that you got to go and you got to figure it out. And, and I say, you know, uh, hip hop, I think I told you I, I'm, I'm representing the uh, um, Universal Hip Hop Museum and trying to get, you know, the, the, that that project opened out in the Bronx. And, and hip hop, right? There's a lot of things that I remember growing up. There's certain lines, right? You know, I got something on my mind. I refuse to lose, right? Yeah, yeah. Get me, right? There, there, there's certain things, but but that type of approach that you got to figure it out. You got to, uh, and, and it's not a nine to five. It's, it's what you do outside of the classroom per se that that really helps you, you know, exceed in life. Yeah, yeah. And you shouldn't be scared of it. You know, you gotta can't be scared. Gotta face the head on. And like you said, you shouldn't be afraid of hard work. You know, That's just right. get out there. And if you want it bad enough, you'll uh you'll put the work in and figure it out. Yes, sir. So, yeah. So Jeff, it's, it's been a great conversation. You know, we generally run about an hour. We're we're six minutes over. Any final words uh to our audience as we kind of wrap this up for today? You know, I, it is, you know, this is like my last uh, you know, I, I I don't know how long I'll be working for, right? But but it's kind of like this is like my last ten years or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Your last run, yeah. right? So 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 to me, it's just like you know we just need people that that want want to do good and, and do well. It's not that hard. You can be successful in doing so. You know you you really can't forget where you came from or the people that you you represent. And and if you don't do that, and if you you know approach things you know, with the do good and do well uh, mentality, you know, just makes, going to help make the, the world go around, uh, you know, a little smoother. So figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, very good points. Um, you know, Jeff, we, we certainly appreciate it. Um, you know, obviously uh, I'm going to catch up with you uh, off camera and, and we'll talk about some other things, but it's been a, a great conversation. Uh, we know that, um Tax credits is often a, a very confusing and kind of, uh, you know, covert type way of getting things done for people who don't know, you know, so I, I certainly wanted to have you on to uh, talk about that. And and even with the tax credit space, most people know about LIHTC. They don't know really about the new markets and the, the application of those. So uh, we appreciate you giving us background on that. And uh, other than that, you know, it's, it's been a great conversation and, uh, you know, much continued success to you. You know, I'm sure we'll we'll meet we'll meet in deals again, and um, you know we'll certainly uh, continue to to get things done. And it's been uh, to bring been great knowing you all these years, and we'll keep it going. Yeah, I appreciate it. We have this last run. Yes, sir. Right. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you. Yeah, man. And thank you all for watching the mornings with Joel CRE podcast with our special guest Jeff Monhey, and uh, we will uh, certainly catch up with you guys on our next episode. Thank you, Jeff. We do appreciate it. All right, thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to write a brief review. And as always, continue to invite, share, and subscribe.